All right, we are continuing our study through the letter of 2 Corinthians here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this session, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, down through chapter 2, verse 11. And here, Paul is still in the early stages of really defending and explaining his ministry. And apparently, one of the points of contention for the Corinthians has been his change of travel plans. And his detractors within the church in Corinth say he's wishy-washy. His travel plans prove it. I mean, certainly that's no way that an apostle or somebody really spiritual should act like that, where they just change their plans willy-nilly and all that. So Paul's explaining himself. And first, what he has said is that he doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth, saying yes and no at the same time. That's completely contrary to God and his faithfulness. It's completely contrary to Jesus and the gospel, right? Jesus is the one through whom all of God's promises are yes, demonstrating God's faithfulness. So Paul's going to act in sync with that, and he's going to act according to that. That's what Paul explained in 1.12 through 22. Now here in 1.23 through 2.11... What Paul is going to do is he's going to explain why he didn't follow his original itinerary of coming to Corinth before heading to Macedonia and then coming back again. Why did he change those plans? And the main point he's going to make here is that it was out of consideration for them. It was out of consideration for the Corinthians and his relationship with them that he actually changed those plans, that he didn't come to them like he originally stated. And one of the big contrasts in this section is the contrast between joy and sorrow, joy and grief, that their relationship should be a cause of mutual joy, joy for them, joy for Paul. But of late, it's been marked by grief and sorrow. And Paul wants to remedy that before coming again, rather than coming and causing more sorrow and grief. And that's why he changed his plans. That's why it was out of consideration for them that he didn't come to them just yet. So here's the way he explains it. Look at Chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, But I call God as a witness to my soul. Notice that. Like he opens this with a solemn oath. This is how serious he is about this. This is a big deal in Corinth. And Paul's very serious about what he's about to say. So, I call God as a witness to my soul that it was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. Not that we domineer over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you're standing firm. And so Paul says that as God is my witness, uh, the reason I changed my plans was to spare you. That's why I didn't come. And that word spare, right? Like to say spare you, well, that actually assumes a, a level of authority over. It assumes a, a, like a parent, right? With some authority, right? And it's like, I, I had to back off because I wanted to spare you. Um, and so, because that implies a level of authority, Paul actually clarifies in verse 24, well, what is the authority actually for? So, he says, not that we domineer over your faith, right? We don't lord it over you. Think of some of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, like Luke 22, 25, and other places where Jesus says, we know that the kings of this world, the rulers of this world, like they like to lord it over you, but not so among you. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how we're operating. We're not operating that way. That's not the way of Jesus. And so, even though it was to spare you that I didn't come, it wasn't because I'm trying to domineer you. That's not our way. Actually, we're workers with you. Notice that, like partners almost. We work together with you 
for your joy, because in your faith, you're standing firm. That's what we're all about. We want you to stand firm in your faith. You are doing that. We want to be a cause of joy for you in that. And that's the issue here. And so he says, as he begins chapter two, but I decided for my own sake that I would not come to you in sorrow again, since we're supposed to work with you for your joy in the faith. I didn't want to come and bring sorrow. Now, what's he talking about? Well, what he's talking about is a, a visit that he made that's not recorded in Acts. It's frequently referred to as the painful visit. Paul sailed at some point from Ephesus to Corinth because of all the uh, conflict and the issues going on. He made this trip to Corinth and he was going to try to deal with what was happening in the church and it didn't go well. There was tension. There was conflict. And in fact, Paul, we'll learn as this letter, 2 Corinthians unfold, and more details about that painful visit appear, we'll learn that Paul actually was treated poorly and left somewhat in shame from uh, Corinth. And so it didn't go well. It didn't solve the problems. It stirred up more problems. And there was just tension and tears and conflict. And and Paul made the decision, he says, that I'm not going to return to Corinth until some of that gets sorted out. That's what he's talking about here in chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, I decided that I wasn't going to come to you again in sorrow. And he says, I decided this for my own sake. And that almost sounds a little selfish. Literally, it's just, I decided this in myself. I made up my mind, in other words. That's what we would say it. I made up my mind. I made this decision um, that I wasn't going to come to you again in sorrow. Then he explains his rationale for that. He says in verse 2, For if I cause you sorrow, who then will be the one making me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? Like our relationship is supposed to be, we're supposed to be working together for our mutual joy in the faith. And if I uh, come and make you, grieve you and make you sorrowful, that's not good for us. That's not right. Like, you're like my children. Our relationship should be a cause of joy and gladness. And it would be a huge bummer if he causes them sorrow. There should be joy and gladness between them. And instead, they're upset and they're grieved and there's conflict and it's sorrowful. He doesn't want that. And so he decided, no, I'm not going to come until we get things sorted out. And so he he just gave up on his initial plans to visit them before he went to Macedonia. So instead of doing that, though, what he did do was he wrote a letter to them and he sent that letter by means of Titus. And it was a hard letter, a painful letter. Notice what he says in verse three, he says, this is the very thing I wrote you, or I wrote the, this same thing. In other words, that's that's why I wrote that letter that that you got, right? Um, by the time they get 2 Corinthians, that letter now is in the past. And so I wrote you that letter because of this very reason. It was going to be like the replacement for my presence. I didn't want to come. I sent the letter to try to see if we couldn't sort things out before I came again. So this is the very thing I wrote you so that when I came I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy was the joy of you all too. And so he wrote this letter, um, having confidence in them that they wanted joy with him, just as he wanted joy with them. And he wrote that letter, uh, hoping to sort things out uh, and that it would get things back on track relationally with Paul and with his mission. That's why he wrote. But it was a hard letter to write, 
and it was a hard letter to read. And so notice the way he describes it in verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. And so this hard letter, this difficult letter, this sorrowful letter, right? Paul says, I wrote that with just much affliction, much trouble and oh, angst in my heart, much anguish in my heart. I wrote it with many tears, like picture tears running down Paul's cheek as he's dictating this letter um, that um, is this painful letter for them. And he wrote it not primarily so that they'd be sorrowful, I wrote it so that you would understand my heart, so that you'd understand how much I love you, um, so that you would, would see what I'm really aiming for in our relationship. Now, we don't have access to that letter, and we don't know exactly what was said, but it was a hard letter to write, a hard letter to read. And, and in fact, according to chapter 7, when Paul kind of comes back around to this topic uh, at the beginning of chapter 7, Paul actually says he had second thoughts about that letter after he wrote it and sent it. It was one of those things where, you know, you push send on the email and you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. And then you don't hear back from the person for a while. And then you're like, oh, man, I'm not sure that went well. Right. That's the what, what happened with Paul after he wrote this letter and sent this letter. You can look at that in chapter seven, verses eight and following where he talks about that. And so Paul wrote this letter, hard letter. He he you know, sent it with Titus, sent Titus to Corinth and said, okay, I'm not going to go until maybe we know how things are going there after that letter lands and after Titus answers questions and then I meet up with Titus. That was the plan. So he changed his plans and he did it because of his real concern for them and in order to spare them. So having assured them that that was his goal and that his goal wasn't to cause them sorrow and grief, Paul now turns to really kind of glance at any of those who were behind the conflict in the first place um, who have now repented. So some of those people that maybe were actually stirring up the pot a little bit and stirring up some of the problems, but now have kind of come back around and have repented in, in reaction to that sorrowful letter. Here's what Paul says, verse five. But if anyone has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not for me, but in some degree, not to say too much, for all of you. And, and so when he says, if anyone has caused sorrow, it's a real condition. Like he, he's not saying if, and I'm not sure anyone has. He knows there's been sorrow, right? He, he made that painful trip. He wrote that painful letter because of it. He knows there's been sorrow. There's been tension. There's been conflict. There's been tears. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so when he says if, it's, it's almost like since. Since there's people who have caused sorrow. So if anyone has caused sorrow... Paul says, you know, he's caused sorrow, not for me, in other words, not just for me, but in some degree, not to say, not to overstate it, not to say too much, for all of you. Like, he's caused as much problems for you guys as he has for me, more so for you guys than for me. Um, and so there's, there are real people that have caused sorrow. There are real people that have stirred up the trouble. Uh, there are real people that has made this a mess, right? And Paul's like, let's talk about that for a little bit. So he says in verse 6, sufficient for such a person is the punishment which was imposed by the majority. And so as people repented and as the church began to call out those people who were kind of the ringleaders of uh, the trouble, right? Paul's saying, uh, that's enough. That's enough punishment. That's, an, right? that's enough uh, discipline for these people so that on the one hand, you should rather forgive and comfort. You should rather forgive and encourage this person, whoever 
you know, has uh, caused some of this problem and now repentance. Otherwise, such a person might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Again, we're trying to, we're trying to alleviate the sorrow. We're trying to end the conflict. And so don't keep being standoffish. Don't keep bringing it up, right? Don't keep pointing fingers at those people. Let's, let's diffuse the situation. And so if there's anybody who has now been part of the problem, who is now repentant that we were wrong, Paul's like, it's time to forgive them. And it's time to encourage them and welcome them back so that they're not overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. In fact, Paul says in verse 8, Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Like, let's, let's make this clear. Let's welcome him back with open arms, right? So you have repented, or maybe you're like, we never joined in on that. We never thought that, right? Well, now it's time, since, since this person or these persons, whoever or however many it is, it's time to reaffirm your love for him. There is some sort of ringleader to the opposition. There is somebody who right, has stirred some of this up. They've come back around, and Paul's like, welcome them back reaffirm your love. Verse 9, he says, for to this end I also wrote. Like I, I, my painful letter, that letter that was difficult, this is another reason why I wrote it, so that, so that I might put you to the test to see whether you're obedient in all things. That is, one of the key objectives of that painful letter was to see if they would repent and obey. And that obedience obviously included their own returning to Paul and their own standing up to the offending parties, right? And calling them out and saying, no, that's not true. And that's not who Paul is, right? So that was part of it. But the other part of it was just as much to, to reaffirm their love for the offending parties who have now repented. And so Paul wants them to do that as well so that um, this whole bad episode could be put to rest. And Paul then says in verse 10, but one whom you forgive anything, I forgive as well. I also forgive for indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did so for your sakes in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we're not ignorant of his schemes. And so Paul's saying, uh, when you forgive somebody, I forgive them as well. Just know that, that I'm extending grace. I want you to extend grace. I've done so in the presence of Jesus and all of that, right? Like there, I, I, there's no beef at this point. Let's, let's end this sort of thing and let's put this to rest so that when Paul comes, there can be joy, not sorrow. And he says, part of the reason we're doing this is so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan because we're not ignorant of his schemes. Like, Paul's happy to forgive because he doesn't want uh, Satan to get a foothold in the church. And, and Paul implies here that one of Satan's schemes is conflict and tension and resentment and holding grudges and not giving grace and forgiving. Um, because unforgiveness and relational brokenness is one of Satan's primary schemes for damaging the church. Uh, for destroying its witness, for destroying its joy and its health in Christ. And Paul's like, and the way to deal with that is reaffirm your love and forgive each other in this. And I'm with you on that so that when I come, there can be joy. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of tons of people just like you. So if you're one of those who supports this ministry and makes it possible, 
thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, the impact you're having is worldwide. And if you have been impacted by this ministry and want to join that team of supporters, you can do so by going to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button, and you can put in a dollar amount, click the little box that says make this a monthly donation, uh, or you can just give a one-time donation as well. All donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission, a registered nonprofit organization. Thanks a ton for your support.